How do I catch walleyes from the bank? It's one of the most consistent questions I've received since founding Fishful Thinker back in 2004, and it's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate it very much. Hopefully you're off to a good day and a good spring. It's the second day of spring, and that means it's time to get out, do some tackle shopping, and hit the water. And if you're going to do some tackle shopping, please stop by Sportsman's Warehouse in your local neighborhood or sportsmans.com. Of course, they're the title partner of all things Fishful Thinker, including this podcast, our television show, the rest of our social media, guiding the whole nine yards. Sportsman's Warehouse has been with us from day one, and we hope they'll be with us till the very end. So check them out while you're looking for your spring tackle. To me, almost nothing says spring fishing, at least in the United, western half of the United States where I live, like walleye fishing. Um, you know, trout can be good in spring, bass can be good in spring, but this time of year, here in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, uh, kind of our home areas, Montana, it's late March, early April when the lakes start opening to boating, guys start getting out there. And everyone starts getting fired up about fishing. The ice is just coming off. In fact, my home reservoir still has a little bit of ice on it, but it'll be off in the next couple days. And already the guys are out beating the banks looking for walleyes right now. And so the first thing I will tell you about catching walleyes from the bank after spending the last 20 years guiding for them, uh, admittedly from a boat, but I live... Uh, overlooking a lake and fish them commonly from the bank as well. Have filmed television shows fishing them from the bank. Uh, I can tell you that this is the best time of year to do it. And from about the second week of March to probably the end of May, or excuse me, the uh, end of April or first of May, is going to be the time frame that you're going to have your best shot at catching reasonable numbers of walleyes as well as some big ones from the bank. And if you know anything at all about walleyes, you know that that's because they're right around their spawn phase and they're going to look for certain things to spawn, which means you as an angler can look for certain things to find them and can be a great time to get out and catch some walleyes for you. So let's talk about all of the above. But let me throw one thing out there. Everybody loves to eat walleyes. I'm the same as you. I love to eat walleyes too. This is the time of year to be really careful about your selective harvest because you're going to catch big, giant, egg-filled females potentially, and they need to be handled correctly. I know we're all in it for the Instagram, so to speak, and everybody wants their pictures, but please be careful with the big spring, particularly the females. Uh, if they're not melting on you this time of year, you can assume that they are females and they should be handled carefully. I'm not saying don't eat any of them, I'm just saying selective harvest is your friend. If you're ever gonna catch a giant, this is the time to do it, and the rancher doesn't eat the prize bull for a reason. So, that's the end of my soapbox, you won't hear any more out of that. The other reason for catching them this time of year is the predictability of where they'll be. That's the single biggest reason, and even above that, the predictability of when they'll be there uh, within the day can be important too. But first off, we gotta find them before we can catch them. And one of the easiest ways to find them, in my opinion, is to go wherever you intend to fish for them and go shortly after dark, maybe the first hour after dark, and then just walk the bank with the spotlight. 
And what you'll find is as you're walking down those banks, you will be shining the light in the water and you will see their eyes. There's a reason they're named for their eyes, and that's because their eyes glow in the dark. They're very good at low light visibility, which means their light doesn't their eyes don't like bright light and it will glow. So keep in mind that's one of the easiest ways to locate them. The question is what banks am I walking? Because let's say my home reservoir is 2,000 acres, surface acres, but it's like, I think it's 80 or 90 miles of shoreline, 80 miles of shoreline, something like that. It's got a lot of shoreline for no more surface acres. Well, that's a lot of property to look at, trying to find out what shorelines are on. So I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can in this podcast and give you the highest percentage things I know, understanding that there are these are not the only answers, these are just the most consistently right answers for a Western walleye guy based on my experience. So the first thing I'm going to look at if there's, it's available to me is riprap. Uh, riprap, of course, being broken rock. It could be anything from natural rock that's been broken up when they built the reservoir. Uh, could be broken sidewalk or boat, you know, old boat ramp that they tore up that they use for erosion control, uh, big pieces of concrete. I've seen it be cinder blocks. There's a lake I fish where there are a bunch of old broken cinder blocks they used for riprap. But at the end of the day, it's all broken rock that they use to stabilize banks. And riprap is your friend when it comes to walleyes. You may be on some reservoirs that have natural broken rock. There's some places around my home reservoir or Pueblo Reservoir in southern Colorado where there's a lot of broken rock that naturally occurs because we're in the Mountain West. That can be good too, but you're looking for broken rock. The next thing I'm looking for, broken, big broken rock, by the way. We're not talking pea gravel here like we might be looking at at for bass, and we're definitely not looking at at sandy substrate like we might be looking at for trout. We are for sure looking for big broken rock, uh, big, big chunks of it, all chunk rock together. The other thing about it we're looking at or looking for is where the wind blows on the rocks. They are going to want some sort of wind-driven slosh or current uh, over those eggs as well. That's going to be important too. So broken rock in a really sheltered area won't be nearly as good as broken rock that, that actually is exposed to a little bit of the weather and wind. So that's another thing that will help you out. But I'm always looking for broken rock this time of year, if at all possible. The other thing I'll look at in, in March, April, early May is also inlets. And Wallace will run up inlets, that's well documented. They'll run up inlets sometimes to spawn. And it kind of goes back to the same thing as the windblown uh, riprap that are in the reservoirs. Uh, like my home lake has an artificial inlet that comes out of a pipe in the ground. It's still enough to draw walleyes in there. And the key in, in that situation is you are looking for the broken rock in the inlet itself, whether that be laying on the bottom or along the edges as they come up in that inlet. Obviously, to get in an inlet area, they have to swim across all of the terrain. So you might find them just about anywhere, but I'm still going to look for my broken rock or my hard um, structure of some sort, hard cover of some sort, hard bottom at least, uh, within that inlet itself. Uh, And the inlets can be so important that I can give you a good case study on that. My home lake, basically the lake's fed out of about a five-foot diameter pipe uh, of water coming from the other side of the western slope. So it's defying all logic and Mother Nature and everything else, piped it through the middle of the Rocky Mountains and into a reservoir on the eastern side. Um, 
it is far from a natural river or anything else, and certainly no walleyes were born up in there. They still will sniff out the water, the flowing water, and make their way up into that inlet, so much so that the managing agency shuts the inlet down to fishing for basically eight weeks out of every year so that the walleyes can get in there and do their thing, and they do so in such numbers that people would snag them from the bank using treble hooks. So that should tell you how many walleyes pile in there. So they don't let you fish in there at all. So that's important. So it will tell you how much uh, the inlet can be. Now, the reason I bring it up, because, yeah, you can't fish it on my home lake, but in a lot of places you can, and there will be a good percentage of walleyes that will run up into various inlets as well, particularly with a lack of broken rock in the rest of the reservoir. But... Broken rock with reasonable wind on it and some uh, decent access to deep water is the first thing I'm looking for when it comes to finding them. And it's basically the only thing that I'm going to fish with the exception of inlets. You might find a few of them around boat ramps, but I want to point out that there's very commonly broken rock stabilizing the sides of the boat ramps or jetties or launch basins or anything like that. Uh, and there's always access to deep water, and there's always activity there. So those things all come together to make that another possible spot for you to look at. But at the end of the day, I'm looking for that broken rock, the most important thing. Next most important thing is the time of day that I fish. If I'm fishing this time of year, it's very heavily an evening thing for me. So if I was running guide trips in the boat, and it doesn't matter whether I'm in the boat or on the bank, the fishing is the same. It's just a matter of which direction I'm casting, and there's some nuances to the retrieve itself. But the fishing, as far as location, is the same. I'm either 40 feet off the bank throwing at the bank, or I'm on the bank throwing 40 feet off the bank, one or the other. The important thing to keep in mind is the fish are going to be right at your feet, particularly if you get your timing right. And your timing right means the last hour of daylight. The overwhelming majority of the walleyes I catch, March, April, and May, are within feet of the bank and or, or in shallow water in the inlet itself. Um, but they're not out in deep water. They're in shallow water or they're staged just off the bank in the deeper water, which is commonly the case for the females. But at dark, like right at dusk during the crepuscular period, you can Google that. That's the big word of the day. Basically, it's the low light period between daylight and dark. Uh, most people would call it dusk. During that time frame, a large percentage of both males and females will be up on the bank doing their thing. And the males are going to be much easier to catch because they are like uh, college guys at a happy hour, ladies' night bar, you know. They all get there. They all want the good seat so that when all the girls get there at 11 o'clock that night, they've all everybody's ready. Well, the male walleyes are going to do the same thing, and they're going to be up on that bank and ready to go at 5 in the afternoon. But it won't be until 6.30 or 7 or 8 or wherever it is in your neck of the woods that it actually gets dusk that those big females will get up on the bank. And incidentally, one of the largest walleyes I've ever caught, I caught from the bank right at dark. Um, and she bit in a foot and a half of water at the most with about 8 feet of line off the end of my fishing rod. And we're talking about a fish that's in the 10-pound class. So... Big female, uh, but right at dark. So my timing for this time of year, my advice is go out at, you know, go eat dinner, go home, eat dinner, and then go walleye fishing and fish till about an hour after dark. Now, somebody's going to say, well, I catch them at 3 in the morning. 
Good on you. I know you do. But I'm trying to hit the high percentage points. And the high percentage times, just like any other time of any other transition that we're looking at, we're talking about fish transitioning to the bank for dusk. When they first get there, they're going to be easiest to catch. When they've been there for four or five hours, they're going to be harder to catch. And then by daylight, they're going to pull back out of there for the most part, and they won't be there at all. So I like to fish that period right before dark, right up until dark, if I'm fishing, particularly for the fish that are heavily oriented to the bank. If you're in a boat and you're looking for suspended females out off the bank, maybe a different story. Uh, also, maybe a different story, fishing at 3 o'clock in the morning for fish that are all around. But for the ones that are pinned down, where they're easiest for us to catch, it's going to be that two hours before to after dark period. That's key. The next thing from there that I'm going to be looking at um, is my moon phase. I typically want to fish on the dark moon or the full moon or the half moon. The lunar phases drive spawn cycles for all kinds of fish, whether it be bass or trout or walleyes. The lunar phases will drive it so much so that most of our filming for Fishful Thinker Television occurs on one of the moon phases because it typically has a pretty significant effect on the ecosystem. The full moon, dark moon, and half moons in the second half of March to the first half of May will be your friends. A couple nuances there. On the dark moon, I will a lot of times fish for area, fish around areas that have light already on them. And that is going to typically be someplace like maybe adjacent to marina areas if there's some riprap or boat ramps themselves uh, where there's light around the boat ramps and riprap stabilizing the edges of the ramp. Uh, that can be a really important thing. Or uh, maybe a dam face that's got some lighting on it, something like that. On the darkest moon, I'll fish around areas that may have a little bit of light because it makes me more efficient as an angler. And that light's there all the time, so it won't bother the fish. Conversely, on the full moon, I'll be looking for the darkest areas and the shade areas because I mentioned early on that the easy way to locate them is to shine a light in their eyes. Because walleyes don't like light shining in their eyes, they will utilize shade in the dark very commonly. So one of the places I like to fish has random trees up and down the bank with a bunch of broken rock that the walleyes love to spawn on. If I'm fishing there in a dark moon, I will fish all those shady spots, or excuse me, on a full moon, I will fish all the shade. All the trees will make very visible shade on the riprap, and I will fish that shade. Uh, they, again, because that big bright moon is really not fundamentally different than bright sun, and they will utilize the shade. On the half moon, all bets are off. Uh, not too light, not too dark, go fish. Since we're talking about light, the fastest way to ruin your bank fishing for walleyes in the dark is to start shining your headlamp in and out of the water. If you need to use a, light, a headlamp, shine it away from the water. If you want to have light in the water, get a lantern, turn it on, put it there, and leave it there and don't move it. And the fish will get accustomed to it very quickly because it's not moving. It's that moving, bobbing, flashing, strobing light that will bother fish. So keep that in mind. You want, if you're going to use a light, it needs to be stable. Uh, otherwise, don't shine it in the water. 
because you will spook fish doing that, and it might take them a little bit of time to calm back down, especially in areas where they're not used to seeing any light. So, you know, the last six nights in a row, they pull up on this bank, nothing happens. The seventh night, there's something flashing lights all around right there for half an hour. They're not in. They're, that's going to spook them, and you don't want that to happen. So put a light and leave it stable as and go from there. The other thing is if you do have a light and you leave it in the water or you fish around areas where there are lights, that will attract bugs, which will attract bait, which may give you a little bit of a feeding frenzy going on. Even though walleyes don't eat well during during the spawn cycle, they will definitely doing some eating. So, uh, And the light will help with that. So that's my deal on light. Uh, another thing that you really need to keep in mind when you're from the bank, even more than in the boat, but also in the boat, um, be quiet. Yeah, I can't emphasize this one enough. Fish in shallow water are spooky. I'm telling you right now to fish around broken rock, which means you're walking around on stuff that isn't super fun to walk on. You, it's perfect stuff for breaking your ankle to the point where I wear boots, good, my regular like high country hiking, you know, hunting boots in the spring uh, because I want my ankles intact when I get done with walleye fishing and I'm walking around an extremely broken rock. The more of those rocks you roll around or clank against each other or if maybe you're carrying a, a five-gallon bucket and you're banging that thing around or anything like that, if you're making noise or rocking the bank much, moving stuff around, you're going to spook a lot of fish and you're going to have a hard time, particularly with the females, that tend to be bigger and older. Uh, the younger ambitious males, maybe not so much, plus there's a lot more of them. So even if a percentage of them spook, you still got more of them to deal with. So be quiet, be sneaky, keep your strobing headlamp out of the water and you'll catch a whole bunch more of them. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the actual nuances of catching them. First of all, you're gonna be dealing with the males the most. The males are the ones that are very ambitious about um, defending their territory. I made a joke earlier about the about a bunch of college guys at a, at, a, at a ladies night bar scene. Well, all these male walleyes are very competitive with each other and they're also very territorial and that can be a little bit of a secret when I start talking here in a minute about the, the, the lures we use. Uh, those males are the, your easiest indicator that you're in the right area. So if you catch if let's say you're working a whole big stretch of bank and you don't catch anything and then you catch a male and you'll know he's milting because I'm not going to go into the details of what it looks like, but you, it will be making a mess on you or the rocks or anything else his belly is pointing at. If you catch one doing that, it's a safe bet that there's a whole bunch more of them very close to there. Depending on the population of walleyes in your lake, there could be a pile of them there. So much though that they will get very aggressive with each other and it's pretty easy to catch them two at a time. So if you hook one and you realize that it's a you know 15 inch male, as soon as you realize that, slack him out. Just let him swim away with your, with your bait hung in his face. What's gonna happen is he's gonna get attacked by some of the other males and they're gonna try to get that bait from him or they're going to bully him around because he's not acting right. If you've ever been around Canada geese and one of them's wounded, the rest of them will attack him. I've seen deer do the same thing. One walleye starts acting crazy, the rest of the males will go nuts about him, so much so that we were filming one time, and we were right at dark, and I hooked a, a male, and I realized it's a male, and he's coming to the boat, and we look at him, and there's about five of them chasing him, and one of them was so excited about trying to get that jerkbait away from him that we netted the other one. A friend of mine, Curtis Welch, frequent contributor on Fishful Thinker, uh, was able to net both the fish, the one I had hooked, and the free-swimming male that was chasing him at the same time. That male was so preoccupied with trying to get that jerkbait away from his competition 
that he lost sight of the fact that he was in his own danger and he was netted at the same time. Now, I want to point out that is not legal and not even remotely legal in Colorado. So we netted him, showed him to the camera, and let him go immediately. But at the end of the day, it goes to show you how ambitious they are about chasing each other. So those those milting males uh, are your indication that there's typically a bunch of them. So whatever you're doing to catch that one, keep doing that, and you can probably catch a bunch of them. Also, stay in that area until right at dark when you have a better shot at the females coming in on the bank themselves. And again, the females are typically larger and commonly older as well. So they're a little tougher to trick, and they're full of eggs. They're not there to eat. So they can be a little trickier. It's harder to utilize their sense of... Um, territorialness or aggression at that point. I think they're irritable, but they're not quite as aggressive as the males will be. So keep uh, keep that little detail in mind as well. So use those males that are more easy to get to bite in the last hour of daylight. Get a bunch of those and get in the area where there's as many of those as you can find, and then you've got a safe bet that the females will come in behind them, and you'll be able to catch some of those bigger ones right when it gets all the way dark. So that can be key. Now, I've saved this till the end because it's the part everybody always wants to know, and it's so simple that I hate to, to really spend much time on it, but I'm going to. At the end of the day, you need a jerkbait. That's it. All you got to have, a jerkbait. And I can tell you that I've spent 20 years catching wise. I didn't fish wise as a kid. Uh, I grew up in South Florida. They didn't have them. Uh, when I started fishing in the West and tournaments, things like that, I, I was bass tournament guy. I didn't, didn't, wasn't really interested in walleyes. And I figured out that they're more similar to bass than a lot of people think or they're, the way they'll feed, the things I can get them to bite. And I started focusing on them from then. But that was about 20 years ago now, a little right around 20 years ago. What I found out is particularly around the spawn is it's almost impossible to beat a jerkbait. Now, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you're going to say, well, you say that about a lot of stuff, and that's true. But this is the most, probably the most um, solidly I feel about that. The only other possibility being, well, let me think about it. I don't know if there is another possibility. I'm going to stick with my answer. The most strongly I feel about the jerkbait being the right bait is right on spawning walleye. So let's say April. Uh, it's just the right bait. The big difference is I don't jerk it as aggressively. It's not a snap, 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 snap deal. It's not a snap, snap, pause deal. It's more calmly, more of a subtle pull and then pause. Little pulls and pauses. And the pulls are somewhere between 6 and 18 inches, just enough to feel the bait swim a time or two with the rod tip. And then the pause. Here again, the pause, as with almost always with a jerkbait, it's the pause that gets them to bite. And in the case of, of spawning walleyes, a lot of times a long pause will do the trick. And I think it comes down to the fact that they're territorial, particularly the males. He's trying to occupy a spot on the bank. He's trying to demonstrate that this little section of bank is mine. And so any female that comes near here, well, that's that's for me. She's for me. So that jerkbait that's just hanging there is not uh, something he wants hanging there. So he'll bite it. And I've, I've said on a lot of TV shows and a lot of podcasts, I don't care why they bite, but I concentrate on why they bite so that I can use it to catch them. And uh, at the end of the day, a bite's a bite. And so... I want him to bite, and they, so it's a short pull and a long pause that usually is my most consistent bite. That pause could be anywhere from about five seconds to about 20 seconds. And a lot of people say, oh, long pause, I do that. And I can tell you on guide trips that everybody big eyes that. I say, okay, let it pause for 15 seconds. 
And about eight seconds later, the bait's moving again. They, pe most people struggle, really struggle, with letting a hard bait sit still for 15 to 20 seconds at a time. And I think part of it is it just doesn't feel natural. But a suspending jerk bait, if it's balanced correctly and doing what it's supposed to do, will just sit there. It might ever so slowly sink or ever so slowly rise, but what we want it to do is just suspend slightly nose down in the water column and just hang there. Uh, that's going to be really important. And so a jerkbait, whatever jerkbait it is, is going to be your friend in this scenario. So for me, it could be one of the old Cutter series. It could be one of the new Stunnas uh, that Berkeley came out with. Fantastic jerkbait. Um, that bait might even slowly sink in the cold water situation, so I'll put a monofilament leader on it. Uh, another one that's really good and probably the one I'm going to recommend most at this time of year is going to be the hit stick, the Berkeley hit stick in a number 11, number 9 or number 11, maybe even a 13. And the reason is, is that bait's buoyant and will slowly rise. So I can hold it down with a fluorocarbon leader and I can use that leader to balance my bait. Because keep in mind, baits suspend float or sink depending on water temperature. So wherever you're fishing these walleyes, if it's too cold, your bait will rise. If it's too warm, your bait will sink. Uh, if it's just right, your bait will suspend. But the quote-unquote just right number will depend on the bait for one and can be adjusted based on your use of a fluorocarbon or monofilament leader. Nylon monofilament floats. Fluorocarbon sinks. Uh, the reason I'm throwing braided line is twofold. I'm going to throw braided line all the time with a jerkbait, and that's not going to change for spring walleye. But part of the reason in spring walleye is going to be that way is just so I can use a leader to adjust my presentation. So I'll carry a thing of leader spools with me, even from the bank, and they might go anywhere from 10 to 20-pound fluoro, and I might adjust the length of that fluoro to help me hold the bait down. I will also have mono in maybe three sizes as well so that I can hold the bait up. So whatever bait it is that I decide to choose uh, is going to be, fine. my fine tuning is going to happen with my leader to make sure it suspends. So, and you just check that by putting it in the water in front of you, pulling it down a little bit and looking at it. And do that before dark so that you're not shining a light in the water. Get an idea of how your baits work and fine tune your leader and go from there. Now, the... Other popular choices besides the Berkeley ones, and one that's probably the most popular, at least in my neck of the woods, is a Rogue. An old school suspending Rogue is a very popular choice around here. Uh, that's not an easy bait to cast. Uh, it's an easy bait to break the bill off of. It's definitely a bait that the hooks need to be changed out on, but it's a good walleye bait nonetheless. And the most popular color, based on me walking the banks for 20 plus years, 17 of which I've lived right at the lake, is for sure blue back over chrome with an orange belly. Um, I will narrow that down and say an orange belly. If you have an orange belly, it could be a perch with an orange belly. I like an orange or chartreuse, a touch of orange or chartreuse on the belly. And that doesn't matter a whole bunch whether I'm fishing in the light or the dark. If I do have a fair bit of moon or I do have some artificial light that I'm dealing with, I probably will throw a chrome of some sort um, with some color to it. And if I don't, I'll throw a solid color. Uh, if I have stained water, for sure, I'll throw a solid color of some sort. But it's not really about the color so much as it's about the action. And you just have to remember, don't overwork the bait. It's more about little pulls, little pauses. 
uh, or big pauses, I should say, and working the bait more subtly than you would work normally. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't give out a couple other key things. Um, I, I don't worry a whole bunch about the tackle. This is not as big a deal for that. So match your rod to your bait because it doesn't have to be extra fast because I'm just pulling the bait. I'm not going to be working it real aggressively. So it just needs to be something I can throw uh, with the size of the bait that I'm doing and that's a little bit sensitive. The braided line will let you feel those bites, which are typically going to be either a distinct tick on the line with the walleye or it will just straight swim away, and when you feel it pull tight, just wind into them and you got them. But that's that's really what it's going to come down to. And most of the time, like I said, the bites are going to be when the bait's stopped or barely moving, and, uh, and the braid line will help you with that. So I don't get too hung up on the rods. One thing I will tell you, there's no better time to break a fishing rod than walking around on a broken rock bank in the dark. So this is not the place to take your Xenons or your Fantasies to Xs. This is the time to take your Veritases or your Verocities or some of the rods that are more affordable and also more durable at the same time because it's a great time to break them because misuse of a rod in the dark is pretty easy. So late March through early May, full moon, dark moon, half moon, Broken rock or inlets, the last hour to, of daylight to the first hour of dark. Uh, be sneaky. Uh, be quiet. Keep your light, your strobing light anyway, from off the water. If you need light, use a lantern. Um, focus, focus, focus on your timing and your retrieves, your casting angles uh, as it re- re- relates to the bank. And if you get around some males, you know you're in the hunt. Uh, for some of the females as well. So I feel like that this is a fairly thorough rundown if you go do these things that I just said without changing a whole bunch of other stuff. There's a few other baits I could mention, but they're nowhere near as consistent. I'll give them a cursory mention real quick. One's going to be a soft swim bait, like a 3.8-inch power swimmer or a gulp paddle shad. Uh, Those are going to be on very lightweight jig heads so that I can retrieve them as slow as possible without snagging them in the rocks on a nice even retrieve as slow as possible. Um, But otherwise, that's about it, guys. That's all I throw this time of year, and 99.5% of the time, it's the jerkbait. So appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, it's brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse, as always. If you'd want to join the conversation on our social media, I would appreciate that very much. That's at Fishful Thinker on TikTok, Facebook, or Instagram. Of course, you can follow Chad LaChance on any of the above as well. I'd appreciate that very much. And we also, of course, hope you'll tune in to Altitude Sports Channel or World Fishing Network and see what we've got on television for you. So we appreciate you listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>